for you to open to your Bibles to Romans 12. As I was talking with Jerry and having the privilege to come in, actually, he was so, so concerned that I would think, why aren't you here, Jerry? But when I heard he had the privilege to extend his visit with his family, like, Jerry, stay with your family. These are, these are rare times in the calendar when we get so much family time. But we talked extensively about today, and we've been talking about what's going on at Gulf Coast and your, your upcoming plant uh, down the street, uh, as next Sunday is, is a big day for you. So I was praying about that and thinking, how can I encourage the church? And that, actually, that's, that's how Darren described it this morning. He said, thanks for bringing a word of encouragement. So that's what I want to bring from Romans 12 this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm, by design, not going to develop a lot of what we could develop this morning to stay tight on the theme. But uh, if there's one thing among many, it's not the only thing, but one thing that stands out to me, if I'm asking the question, what, what does Gulf Coast need in this season? And what does local church, the name of the church plant that will go out, what will they need in this season? I think it's the same thing among many things. And that thing is zeal. I want to talk to you about zeal this morning and serving with zeal. So if you're open in your Bibles to Romans 12, this transitional chapter in Paul's letter to the Romans, if you will, the first 11 chapters being a theological treatise on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we have in the gospel. And then he turns the corner uh, for the last five or so chapters to focus more on, okay, now what does this look like practically? What are the implications of this for our lives? And depending upon your Bible, you might have a subtitle, The Marks of a True Christian. I'm going to start reading just above that part and into that section here, Romans 12, 6 through 11. Would you read with me and then we'll pray. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together Thank you that in you, we are all on equal standing. If we have placed our faith in you for the forgiveness of our sins, then every single one of us who has done that is as righteous and as justified as we will ever be. Thank you for that freedom. Thank you for that mercy. Thank you for this gift. And now we pray, Lord, you would speak to us from your word Lord, you'd speak to Gulf Coast, those who will remain. You'd speak to this church plant, local church that will go out. Lord, on what does it look like to serve you first and then one another and our communities with a love that is marked by zeal? Help us to understand what that is and the difference that it can make, not only in our lives, but in our service to one another. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This passage uh, I, I mentioned before getting into it, kind of this, this transitional section, these uh, human inserted things, this marks of the true Christian. But if you're paying attention, you notice the word zeal came up two times. And on the surface, it can appear that at first, oh, zeal is one of the gifts. See verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. And he describes them, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contributing, generosity, leading with zeal, acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And if we only read that far, it could appear, oh, well, zeal is maybe for some of the people in the church, but not everyone because it's a different gift. But as we read on, Paul continues and he talks about not being slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Now, how many of us as Christians would say serving one another is part of our calling as Christians? Right, this, that's not just a spiritual gift. Now, we all know extraordinary servants, right? People who just serve on a level that's like, how do they do that? Much like we're also, as Christians, we're all called to give, right? But then we know some who just seem to have a gift 
of generosity that comes not only in the form of money, but just, just the outpouring of their life. So the, the picture here is, yes, there, there are different gifts according to the grace given us, but there are also things we have in common, and that is marks of the true Christian. Part of the way we love one another, part of the way we, we honor one another is when we serve one another with this thing called zeal. And so zeal is not just something for a few Christians, though we may know some who have it on steroids. Zeal is the call of every Christian. Now, before I go any further and get into definition of zeal, I want to I give you a picture of zeal. Uh, when I was in college, uh, my campus minister was named Ed Ciccone and his wife, Allie. And uh, I went to Westchester University in Pennsylvania, just a school outside of Philadelphia, and I was about a year and a half old Christian uh, when, when I arrived on the campus, and uh, they were having a student fair for those of us who were incoming freshmen to, you know, get to know what opportunities were on the campus, and there were three, I remember, three Christian ministries on the campus, at least that were represented at this fair, and the one ministry had this really fancy table, professionally made um, um, banner that was hanging. They're giving away Cokes, and they're giving away things with their names on it. There was another one, uh, almost equally as fancy, giving away Frisbees with their name. Then there was this table with no banner, kind of a beat-up table, and it had a Bible open, really big, thick one, and a clipboard. That was it. And this really short Italian couple standing behind the table, Ed and Ali Ciccone, with a handwritten Christians in Action. Uh, which was part of Chi Alpha, if any of you were Assembly of God people back in the day. That, that was it. They had nothing going in terms of their display or anything, but it did not take much time at all to realize this guy, Ed, had zeal. In fact, he's, he's also the guy who gave me an understanding of the importance of the local church. The very first meeting we had, Thursday night meeting, uh, of the school year. He's introducing himself and talking. He's, okay, have you found your books? Have you found the library? You know, have you found your way to the dining hall? Have you, have you found all those things? Okay, great. There's one more thing you need to find. You need to find a local church. And I had no idea how profound that was for a campus minister to actually be pointing us to a local church, but he's the guy who gave me vision for the local church in those early days. But Ed, like a lot of those guys and families, he, he had to pull a couple jobs. He had a stipend for his work on campus, but not enough to take care of his family. So he delivered pizzas. He also worked at UPS. And his shift at UPS was four in the morning. And uh, he lived about a half hour from our campus, but the UPS facility was only about five minutes away. So it wasn't an uncommon thing for him to spend a Thursday night in one of the dorms with some of the guys, or eventually uh, in, in our campus apartment, I, I was telling the first service, I remember that night, it was so awkward the first time, like, my campus minister is, like, sleeping in my room. Yeah, I mean, you know, how many of you had Jerry over for a sleepover, you know? It's just, it's, it's different, it's just different, you know? It's like, everybody stay in their lane, right? You remember that first time you saw your school teacher in the grocery store? Like, what are you doing here? Like, oh, they're human. They live too. They have to sleep and eat and all the things that I do. So there's Ed, my, my roommate. We had a three-bedroom apartment on campus. My roommate gave up his bunk. So Ed's over here in his loft bed, and I'm over here in my loft bed. It's like one in the morning, and this was normal for Ed. The meeting would end around 930, but he'd just pray for people and spend time with people. And, and it was so late that particular week, he just, he always kept a bag in his car. He stayed with us. So I don't know, it's 1.30 or so before we get to bed. At 3.30 in the morning, his alarm goes off, and it's dark, and I just hear him, praise God, praise God, another day. Like, okay, who says praise God after two hours of sleep? And you're going to UPS. If any of you worked in a, those kinds of places, he was in the warehouse, you know, trucking boxes into trucks, just, just working hard. He was 50 years old at the time. Now, this isn't a college kid slinging all these boxes. And here he is on two hours of sleep going into a four, four and a half hour work shift at UPS, just happy, excited. And then I saw him later that morning at the 10 a.m. prayer meeting in the, uh, in the office that we had on campus. And you'd have thought he slept all night. You'd have no idea that he just labored again at UPS. And just this guy was just constantly like this. What was it? I want to suggest to you it was zeal. I saw zeal before I ever knew what zeal was in Ed. Week after week after week, this passion just poured 
out for students. That was just a normal thing. And Ed ministered to us out of that zeal. What is zeal? Webster's Dictionary defines zeal as a strong feeling of interest and enthusiasm that makes someone very eager or determined to do something. I, I mean, a simpler definition to me would just be a picture of Ed Ciccone right there in the, in the dictionary. Like, that's zeal right there. That is how he served. He had a very strong feeling of interest in us and enthusiasm for Jesus that was contagious. And he was determined to do something, to inspire us, disciple us, encourage us. That was him every single day. He wanted to see young Christians impacted for Christ during their college years. And his zeal did more than impact us. I would say it infected us, many of us. Zeal matters. Zeal is going to matter to those of you who are prayerfully and have made that decision to join a new church plant, local church. And zeal is equally going to be a difference maker for those who remain right here at Golf Coast. Really, two new works are beginning. Do you realize that? It's not just the new work going out. It's going to be a new work here, too. In many ways, there are going to be new people coming, which, by the way, those of you remaining, I would encourage you with that. I think God is going to surprise and bless you. He's going to grow the new church plant, and you're going to see people coming here, and you're going to ask them, why, why now? Why? We, we, all the work we've been doing, and they're just... Because, because God, that's why. Okay? Because God, that's why. Zeal. Paul is urging Christians, us, in Romans 12, verse 11, to not be slothful in zeal. In other words, guard against losing your enthusiasm, your passion for serving people with a strong feeling of interest in them, and cultivate an enthusiasm that keeps you going. And I say cultivate, not to put the emphasis on us. It's ultimately going to, as we'll see come from the Spirit, but anyone who's been serving people for any length of time knows something. We need regular, fresh doses of zeal. We need refilled with zeal for why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we doing it? That's going to be true for those who will be local church. That will remain true for those who are Gulf Coast Community Church. We must regularly seek to ensure The embers of zeal do not grow cold, but are continually reignited for our great gospel cause, which is the cause of both of these churches. We're not only to serve, but we're to serve with energy, with joy, with passion, with enthusiasm. Uh, We've lived now in uh, Florida for eight years as a family. Uh, I was joking with someone. I think I preached more at Gulf Coast when I lived 1,200 miles away than now. I live like 100 miles away, Uh, but um, perhaps Jerry will invite me back in the new year. We'll see. But I want you to know a big part of what gave Melissa and I, my wife, and my family faith to make the move to Orlando was that we had relationship, the kind of things Darren was talking about earlier, with Gulf Coast and other churches. But at that time, in 2010, when we were praying about, we were asked to pray about moving to Orlando Metro Life Church was, was just going through a very difficult, difficult season. And I had preached there before. A number of pastors I knew kind of, you know, made, made their vacation visit to uh, Metro Life Church. I didn't say this in the first service, but at that time, and at the time we were a part of a different family of churches, uh, Metro Life Church was known as being a little more charismatic. So if you had a more charismatic background like I did, you kind of go get your fix, you know what I'm saying? You know, at Metro a little bit, you know, get stirred up a little bit and go back home. Uh, well, we, would, we would do that. And Danny invited me to preach. And ironically, in 2008, he asked me to preach on the gifts of the Spirit, which seemed ludicrous as I'm preaching, realizing this church is already doing this. Why in the world am I encouraging them in something they're doing so much of? It was just a live, lively church in 2008. But then two years of just trial after trial and hardship after hardship had hit Metro Life Church. Some of it their own doing, some of it not. Just life, right? Does anybody have life? Yeah, it just kind of happens sometimes, right? Well, it was happening a lot at Metro Life. So we were praying about coming. The leaders knew that. The whole church didn't know that. And I got up to preach that July Sunday in 2010. And honestly, it was like I was preaching in a cemetery. Like the spirit of Metro was gone. It had left the building. 
And uh, I was so distracted during the preaching. Uh, how many of you know that when preachers preach, they're often thinking about other things at the same time? Well, that, that was me on that Sunday. What am I having for lunch? I don't know. Who's taking me to lunch? I don't know. Anyway, I love that place, PJ's, over by the beach. No, no, no. I'm preaching right now, Romans 12. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm there, but I'm comparing, and I'm trying not to compare, but I'm looking out on what just appears to be a cemetery, but almost like a prairie dog cemetery where occasionally a head would pop up, like maybe somebody's out there. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching my guts out, I've told the church. I mean, I'm giving everything I have, as much as, as much as a human has anything to do with it, which we don't really, it depends on the spirit, but as much as I like, wake up, it just wasn't there because they were just so discouraged. Now the storms had subsided, but the debris, you know, post-hurricanes, the morning after. I remember that. You know, the end of 27, September 2017, going out in our front yard, totally blue sky, but three trees down in the yard, you know that, which turned out to be a blessing. I didn't really like those trees. I didn't have to pay to have them removed, so it was, it was a bonus. Uh, that's what it was. I remember getting on the plane the next morning, asking my wife, uh, so what do you think? Because during the sermon, I know I was thinking of, I was distracted. My mind was on Grace Community Church, where I was from in Pennsylvania, thinking oh, there's life there. There's response there. There's people there. And in 2010, at that point, I, I left it down here. I hope this doesn't mess with the sound. Okay, sound guy, thank you. I left my Wawa cup down here. There were no Wawas in Florida in July of 2010. You know Wawas from Philadelphia. I got to tell you, that first, that first sighting of the first Wawa in Florida, which was by SeaWorld on Central Florida Parkway, if you're wondering where it is, was like, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. We are going to stay in Orlando. We're going to see this through because Wawa has come. Now I can drive from here back to Orlando later today, hot cup of Wawa the whole way. This is an offense to Jerry. I think that it's even sitting here because he likes his, like, you know, fresh ground brewed and all that. But no, this is gas station coffee, and I love it. (laughs) Philly's a blue-collar city. Okay, that's me. But Wow. I was thinking of that church while at Metro. But God led us to make the move. We came. We knew. It's funny. We thought we knew. We had no idea. Like, what? That wave is way bigger than the one coming than the waves that already crashed. Are you kidding me? But we were there. We were there. But it wasn't too deep into 2011 where uh, this sweet, dear lady... She came after a sermon and said, you know, I don't know how you're feeling, but I want you to know your enthusiasm for what the Lord is doing and what he can do again through us is starting to catch on. So keep going. It was just a moment of realization that, that, that genuine this is important. We're going to come back to this. Genuine zeal, which comes from genuine love, not, not made up, genuine, genuine affection for people. This matters. This makes a difference in good seasons, in hard seasons. I didn't share this in the first service, but after she said that, I'd forgot this, she inspired this. I went to the team and I asked them, hey, how long since you've taken a special offering? And they, they couldn't remember because finances were down. I mean, it was, and plus, this is 2010, so the economy's still bad, right? I mean, real estate's down. Just Florida got hit hard, and Orlando got hit very, very hard with the downturn. So they weren't thinking about offerings. Like, guys, what do you say? Let's take an offering and let's give the whole thing away, totally. We're not keeping any of it for electric bills or this, that, the other thing. Let's just give it all away. They gave $88,000 two Sundays later. No brochures made, no polished videos, no rah, rah, rah. Just, hey, come on, let's get out of ourselves here. Let's go do something for the kingdom. $88,000 later. Zeal matters. Now, I want to unpack the passage. Uh, Just one more illustration. I love war movies. I'm sure the producer of this particular movie took a little creative license, but have you seen American Sniper? It's a few years old. If you you haven't, I don't want to spoil it, but for me, it was a powerful movie. The takeaway of takeaways for me was the impact deployments have on soldiers and their families, the effect that has uh, on them. I've never been to war. I have some family members who have. I don't understand the camaraderie 
that war creates between soldiers, but I respect it. But in the movie, there is this scene where Chris Kyle, you know, based on a true story, he's up in his sniper post looking out over the street, and he's trying to protect fellow Marines that are going door, I mean, they're doing door to door to try to root out terrorists. I mean, probably about the most dangerous thing you could be doing because you don't know what's on the other side of these doors. And he sees their fear. He sees their timidity. A soldier a day or more are dying. And they're, so they're obviously understandably fearful and concerned. He just, he's watching this, but he's a different ilk. He's a different guy. So he gets out of his safety place. Really, I think in a way breaks rules but he goes to be among those Marines, if you, if you can picture the scene I'm talking about. And he just starts to walk the street with them. And he doesn't, he doesn't come in all high and mighty. He just gets among them. Hey, guys, can I help you out? And, and what I love in the movie, the way the producer depicted it, is the countenance of those Marines changed just by his presence, his passion, his conviction, his courage, his zeal. I think zeal is something you catch long before you're ever taught it. You see it. You feel it from other people. I think you all have, we all have people who inspire us in some way, right? Well, this was the effect. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul is trying to get at here, is that let this, let this service to one another, let the way that you, you care for one another, the way you're in each other's lives be marked with something, with zeal. Well, what, what is it more in the context of the passage? First and foremost, zeal in context, it's an expression of love. Paul's talking about love here and how we love. Now, commentators have long debated whether Romans 12, 9, uh, going down several verses, if it's let love be genuine, and then these are all individual expressions of love, or if each one is a different mark of a true Christian. I don't know that we need to lose any time over that debate. The point is this. One way our love is genuine One way we love one another with brotherly affection, one way we do that is that we are not slothful in zeal. We're not lazy about bringing passion to our service and love for one another. I think service, serving one another in love in this context is one of the primary ways we display that our love for one another is indeed genuine. Whether that one another is in the church or that one another's in the world, that it's genuine together. Now, I've been a Christian 28 years, and there's a reality I know that you probably know in your own heart and life as well, and it's this, that over time, our service can become rote, going through the motions or without feeling. You know, like you're on autopilot, like you ever... I mean, you ever make the same drive and you like you get home or you get somewhere and you're like, how did I get here? <laughs> like it just it just happened. You know, you have no recollection of going through that intersection. Was the light even red? I don't even know. You know, you're just there because you're on autopilot. It can be like that in our service to one another, can't it? We can be there and be faithful, but it's just kind of a going through the motions without thinking too much about why we do it and who we do it for. But zeal is altogether different. It considers deeply its purpose. And at the heart of this passage, genuine love for one another is the purpose. Ultimately, that love first for the Lord, the memory verse we just read, loving God and from our love for him, loving one another. So zeal, if you will, simple definition, because I'm very simple. Zeal is doing plus feeling. It's doing plus feeling. It's not only doing, it's not only feeling. It's doing plus feeling. Now, R.C. Sproul in his commentary on, on Romans called the Gospel of God, he said it this way. There are some people who are methodical in routine, but there's no zeal, no warmth, no ardor, no spirit. God wants to see discipline, and I think in this context, he means the discipline of being faithful to serve, but he also wants to see passion, to see hearts that are on fire, that are excited about what has to be done. I love that passage. You know, we've got a, it's kind of funny, we've owned four houses in our lives. The absolute best fireplace we have is in Orlando, like, makes no sense to me. 
I, I mean, it's a Christmas photo fireplace. It's ridiculous because, you know, like we got to have the AC cranked when we use the thing. But, you know, when you fill that thing with wood and the flames are moving, like, I, I don't, you know, like, flames don't really talk like this, but, but it's always with zeal, you know? The flames are flickering and they're moving and they're all over the place. Zealous. I don't just look at the fire. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a fire doing its job. No, it's like making Christmas photos. It's doing what it does full on. That's what zeal is, doing what it does full on. It isn't just getting something done. It's how it gets done. John Piper, he said it this way about this passage. He says, the one thing Paul is saying is, do lots of work for Christ passionately. Do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be lazy in zeal. Could be taken to mean be pragmatic, work, 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 and don't worry about your emotions or how you feel. Getting things done is what matters. Be eager and earnest and zealous to get things done. Laziness is the great vice. The great virtue is efficiency and hard work. But we can see how lopsided that is when we take the positive, clarifying counterpart, namely be fervent in spirit. In other words, be fervent in the way you serve, how you serve, not only that you serve. Amen? Amen? Follow? So the idea is clearly not one of mere hard work or efficiency. The spirit is in view, not just the body. Feeling is in view, not just doing. So the point of both clauses together is don't just do lots, feel lots. I cannot think of anything. That's an exaggeration. I can think of few things more necessary for what will become local church. Don't just do lots. Feel it. Why are you doing it? Who are you doing it for? But I also cannot think of many things more important for Gulf Coast. Don't just do lots. Feel lots. What is the new opportunity coming to Gulf Coast as this group of 60 or so people go out? All the opportunities are endless. You really have two new church plants coming. You really do. One just happens to be in another location. The other will be right here. This is going to be a new church. Don't just do. Feel what you do for who you do it and why. That's what Ed, that's what I caught. I don't remember. Maybe he did. I don't remember. Honestly, I don't remember Ed ever teaching a message on zeal. He didn't have to. He just was. He didn't just do a lot for us. He felt what he did for us. I was thinking, recalling in the first um, message too, like even when we would have retreats, he refused to call them retreats. He called them advances. You know, we were never just doing something. We were on mission all, I mean, you used to come back, you're supposed to come back refreshed from retreats. I come back exhausted, like skip classes on Monday because of Ed, you know, and justifying it. I was always looking for a reason to skip a class, um, but that made it feel justified. I'm just so tired from the advance weekend because Ed knew nothing of retreats. Whatever he did, he just did full on. See, whatever your role of service is in this local church and the new local church to begin, coincidentally called local church, the people we serve will be far more encouraged, blessed, and inspired when we feel what we do. Because when we feel it, they will also feel it. So to those of you going out to this new church called Local Church, what is driving you for this church plant? I mean, what is your ultimate reason for going out? Now, I hope it isn't things like, you know, this building's kind of drab. I mean, look at it. We need new lights. We need this. You know, there's a hipper part of the city. Let's go there. Don't let that be your reason. Also, though, for those of you who will remain at Gulf Coast, what's your reason for remaining? Is it like, oh, man, a church plant, that sounds like work. Probably someone's going to ask me to serve children or something disgusting like that. And I'm going to have to say, yes, I'm here to serve and blah, blah, blah. I'll just stay. No, don't stay for that either. What's going to drive you? Because here's the reality in both places. Sometimes you will serve long in the same way with apparently on the surface little return. Amen? There's a need for one and two-year-old workers here, right? How many of you have worked with one and two-year-olds? 
How many times have you had this experience at the end of your service to one and two-year-olds? They walk up to you, if they're walking, thank you so much for serving me and showing me Jesus this morning. Your life is making such a difference in mine. That's never happened. <laughs> it's never happened in the history of man, I'm going to venture to say. It's never happened. And if that child exists, I want to meet them and introduce my children to that child. No. You know what I'm talking about. We serve and we serve and we serve. Maybe we evangelize, we wash cars, we do this, we do that. Why do we do what we do? What's going to keep us going? For those remaining here at Gulf Coast, you've got a fresh opportunity to see unoccupied seats get occupied with new believers. You do know that's why you're here, right? That's why 25 years ago this church was planted. That's why local church is going to go be planted, to see the lost get found. That's the ultimate reason. My wife is not here with me today because she is about a half hour south in Bradenton at a Baptist church that is the new home church of my in-laws because my stepfather-in-law, 75 years old, became a Christian in May of this year. It's never too late. It's never too late. But you know what? There are people in this church who are part of their story. I don't know if they're here, Dave and Susan Wilson. They heard I was coming. They're not here. Okay, so, but Susan used to work for my mother-in-law. There were now no longer teenage Men, you're now grown men. I don't know if some of you are here. Some of the young men of this local church helped my in-laws move into their condo at South Pasadena 12 years ago. Maybe you're 30 now. I don't know. You made a difference. Wait, why? Why would a couple of teenage guys give up a Saturday because Jerry or someone said, hey, this guy Aaron who shows up every once in a while, his in-laws are moving. Would you go, would you go move his in-laws in for free? There's, you know, it's like the fifth floor. It's going to be a great day, great day. July, it's perfect. Big, heavy stuff. Why? I think zeal. I think zeal. Conviction, this matters. And I could tell you to this day, the testimony of my in-laws isn't that furniture got moved. The testimony is how it got. And I don't mean, well, how did it get moved? Well, they brought these lifts in their hands. No, no, no. I'm talking about the heart. It's all part of my in-law's story. They live in Bradenton now, so they're looking for a church down that way. That's why you're doing what you're doing. See the lost get found. Or maybe, maybe one thing God's going to do in both of these churches is, is bring in Christians who've lost their vision for the local church. And maybe part of their story is it's been so long since we've seen zeal, we forgot what it looked like. But then we encountered Gulf Coast. But then we encountered local church. And they will be able to say, like Josephus, the Jewish historian, said, as he was looking on this early church, my, how they love one another. I don't think anybody walked up to Josephus as he was taking his notes and said, hey, note taker Josephus, please note that we love one another. I don't think that happened. I think he saw it. You know what I'm saying? Nobody had to come tell him. He observed it. It was alive. See, it's not only that we serve. God wants to fill us regularly with his spirit that our service would be marked with a passion. So it's something that not only we feel, but those we serve feel it from us as well. We won't have to tell them, hey, I'm serving you in zeal. No, that would be weird. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) Just do it. Zeal. I'm glad somebody appreciates my attempt that humor. Thank you so much. Zeal flows from love. However, number two, slothful service or service without zeal, that's the result of a lack of love because it's a converse. Don't be slothful and zeal, be fervent in spirit, but it's all in the context of loving one another. Now, I don't think Paul is saying we've lost all our love, but lacking in love. Again, if you've been in Christ for a while, we can all relate to the temptation to lose steam to just go through the motions. Being fervent in spirit is something which we need continual renewal, right? 
like every other aspect of our Christian life. Yes, I've been a Christian 28 years, but I didn't get zeal 28 years ago and never need to be refilled. I mean, we can dream about that with our gas tanks. That'd be a glorious thing, right? To fill it one time and never need to fill it again. But it doesn't work like that. And think about where this zeal, this spirit-given zeal, where it resides, it resides. We've, we've got zeal itself isn't the treasure, but Jesus, our salvation, we have this treasure and all that it means in what kind of jars are we? Earthen, clay, fragile, not made to hold things for very long. I leak a whole lot, do you? And yet, we've got this beautiful, beautiful exhortation. In Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit, which is a present imperative in the Greek. It means be filled, be filled, be filled. Well, in context here, that's what zeal is. And when we're not full of zeal, our service, it might still go through the motions, but it becomes sluggish. It becomes slothful. You know how you feel like when you're not eating or not sleeping? Slothful. It's not that our love for the Lord or others has disappeared. Rather, it may just be that we've lost sight of the driving reason for our service and the fuel that is zeal that is necessary for that service. And in my own life, I see this isn't only applying to my service. It applies to everything in my life. Earlier, Paul started this chapter by saying, uh, discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and pleasing and perfect. I can see in those areas too where I lose zeal. But the solution Paul is offering is not just serve more, but that we first love more. And in loving more, we receive fresh fillings of the Spirit to love with zeal. Love one another, serve one another with zeal. Now, think about this in the places you go. You see this every single day. The checkout lines, the restaurants, the places where you encounter people in service roles. I mean, you ever, you ever been at the checkout counter somewhere in line, and, and if you could describe it, you'd describe that person as, they have to be here. They're obligated to be here. That, that's kind of how they're feeling versus they get to be here. Now, I love Bush Gardens. My kids and I, big fans of Bush Gardens. Way cheaper than Disney, but way better roller coasters. That's pretty much why we'll drive right past Universal and Disney and come to Bush Gardens because we, we like roller coasters. But I have noticed, and I'm sure there's exceptions, but in general, there is a very marked contrast between the workers at Bush Gardens from the cast members, because for some reason they can't be called employees, at Disney World or workers. And I would just simply describe it this way. Generally speaking, the appearance, the countenance of a worker at Bush Gardens is, I have to be here. Arms up, straps, you're like, okay. Then you go to Disney World and they're like, Hey, it's like, for them, it's like they get to be there. It's like a privilege to be there. I work at Disney World. I'm a cast member at Disney World. I don't know that anybody's got that kind of pizzazz. I mean, even the uniforms at Bush Gardens, God bless them, but like, really? Compared to Disney? I mean, it's like, you guys get the feeling like, if you work at Bush Gardens, God bless you, you're probably the exception. But honestly, most of them are kind of like, when is my shift over? And you're, you're putting your life in there, like, I'm about to get on the ride, and you're operating with that mindset. My point is, it's different. You feel it. Or you're, I've got a local Walmart, neighborhood Walmart. I'm in and out of a couple times a week, and, and I might not get it. It's probably not their career path, but it's where they're working now. And they're working without much enthusiasm. And they're just ringing your things up if you're still old like me and not using self-checkout. You can't stand, can't stand self-checkout. It never always works, does it? It just doesn't. You're waiting for the... Anyway, that's a separate message. But you see these people, you see their faces. Just gone through the motions, gone through the motions. I used to ask, how are you doing? And they'd give you the same road answer I'd give. Good, because good, good just means I really don't want to tell you how I'm doing. Right? It's the quickest way out of the conversation most of the time. How are you doing? Good, good, okay, check, and we move on. So I stopped asking. I got inspired by someone to instead say, tell me something good. It's hilarious to watch the faces when you say that to, you know, Nicole at Walmart, who's just, you know, been working register four for how long, 
and is just thinking, just get out of my store, man. I don't want, no, I don't want to talk to you. How are they going to know about Jesus if I don't talk to them? I don't know. I told the first service, I think I'm batting like one out of every 15. And what I mean is maybe on average, one out of the 15 people I invite to Metro actually come to Metro. Now, that sounds pretty depressing. If I were in baseball, I'd be out. Like, that's like what, seven, eight percent? I don't know. It's not, it's not incredibly fantastic. But I love when they come and then say something like, you didn't tell me you were the pastor. Like, you didn't ask if I was the pastor. I said, tell me something good you did. I told you something good. I said, hey, you know what? I love my local church. It's right down the street from your store. You should come sometime. And you happen to come. That I happen to preach is irrelevant. It's probably why they don't come back. But anyway, also a separate message. The point is, you've got people you encounter all day long who they're just not feeling it from anybody. Can't we be different as Christians? Who acts, I mean, we, yes, this treasure's in jars of clay, but we have a treasure. They may not have, and we can be filled with this to give it away. In fact, that's really more than the fact that we leak. The reason we need refilled is we ought to be giving it away. Zeal isn't something you get and just hold it. No, you give it away in service, in love, in passion. I mean, think about that, the difference. Some of you can attest to this. I mean, I remember, actually, it was on our own webpage. I felt kind of bad doing like, guys, would you look at this with me? We had, we had a photo for our young adult ministry that was like the saddest, most depressing photo I've ever seen. Like, guys, we are trying to use this photo to encourage people to come? Are you kidding? It looks like they just left a funeral. Like, I don't want to go to that meeting, and I'm a part of the church. I don't want to go to that. Now, I don't mean to suggest somehow we manufacture this. No, it's got to be genuine. But you know what I'm talking about. You feel it from people. If you had come through those doors this morning and like, good morning, welcome to Gulf Coast, head down. Here's a bulletin. You'd feel that. You probably wouldn't feel very good. And if you have children, you probably wouldn't be thinking of entrusting them to whoever's over there. But when you encounter passion, when you get to sense someone's happy to be there, Glad to be there. They feel like it's a privilege to be there. That's a totally different experience. That's something you just might want to be a part of. So those of you who are going on the church plant, local church, what will people feel from you? What will they feel as they interact with you? But I ask the same question to Gulf Coast. What will people feel from you as they encounter you and interact with you? What will they walk away with? Now, don't misunderstand. Zeal can easily be misplaced. We can get excited about the wrong things. But the zeal we're talking about is in the context of being demonstrations of the love of God to a world that desperately needs to see it. Desperately needs to see it. And ultimately, thirdly, zeal flows from this recognition. It's who we ultimately serve. Look at the passage again. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Oh, I forget that so much. Even in this sermon, ultimately, you're secondary. Do you know that? Who of you have children across the hall now? Ultimately, your children are secondary in the moment. What I mean by that is in terms of service and who we serve. They're first and foremost serving the Lord. And et cetera, et cetera, for each of us. Ultimately, our service is upward, which is what makes the zeal something God gives. We're serving. Think, we, we are serving the king of the universe, people. We're serving the creator of everything. Somehow, in his mercy and grace, he says, I'll invite you in on this. That's who we're serving. Ultimately, we're serving a master who doesn't want us to think of him as master so much as father. And as his sons and daughters, we've got the privilege to reflect, imitate, represent him to this world. It's the kind of service Jesus modeled. Zeal for his father, his father's kingdom, his father's house, which was fuel for his service. Now, as we move to a close this zeal is something I find in my own life. It, I've got it at times. At times, I've lost it. 
and, and you feel it when you lose it. Prior to becoming a pastor, and I've certainly lost at times as a pastor, but a time in my life that stands out, prior to being a pastor, I was a middle school teacher in Chester, Pennsylvania. If you know anything about Chester, Pennsylvania, it's a rough place. Uh, I had 35 students in my sixth grade middle school class, and on parent-teacher night, one grandmother showed up. That was it. Not even the mother. Grandmother showed up of Olivia. I remember her name. I don't know exactly when it happened, but it happened. I had, I had just kind of fell into, drifted into a sluggish indifference. I mean, I was getting in the car and going to school each day, but just drudgery, just not looking forward to it. And I remember calling in a sick day. I wasn't sick. No one in my family needed me bedside. I, I just didn't want to go. You ever have one of those days? You just didn't. You ever have one of those weeks, months, year? <laughs> you just didn't want to? You don't have to put your hand up, but like you didn't want to come here today, but here you are. <laughs> the car just magically took you there like mine does with Wawa. I don't even have to tell it. It just pulls into Wawa. It was just another day of drudgery. It wasn't long after that, I was sitting at dinner with Melissa. We didn't have kids yet, and she's patiently listening to me again, drone on about how hard my occupational life was, and she calmly asked this question. So, is this what we're going to do every night? Like, wham. I mean, that gentle, but that just, it just struck. The conviction just hit, like, that's what she wants. Just, I just want to know, are, are, are you just going to whine incessantly every night about how hard your day is? Is that what we're going to do? Listen, sometimes we, we need to listen and empathize with people. And sometimes, gently, politely, we need to interrupt their self-pity train, right? Say right, please. It's way too quiet. We're like, dude, I'm having self-pity train right now. Don't interrupt mine. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to keep going and attempt to teach these sixth graders. Now, what but the principal who hired me had neglected to tell me, probably an oversight, was I was the third teacher in one week. I started the second week of September, the first full week of their school year. Labor Day, they had four days. Within four days, two teachers had come and gone. Quit. He neglected to tell me that. And there I am. Well, the moment came. I'm there, again, indifferent, sluggish, and uh, the assistant principal bursts into the classroom and just shouts out, loses all decorum, Mr. Osborne, your wife's been in an accident. He's all panicky, and he says nothing else. Now, thankfully, it turned out to be a minor, minor accident, but that wasn't the vibe I was getting from him in that moment. So I'm gathering my things in a hurry, and as I'm going out, I see for the first time what appeared to be humanity in the eyes of some of those children. Like, oh my goodness, they actually care. They actually have a heartbeat. And maybe not for me, but at least for my wife. And so I get to the hospital, find out it's minor, praise God. Uh, but it's a Thursday and her boss says, listen, why don't you take off tomorrow? She's like, no, I don't need to. Said, no, just take, take it off, have a three-day weekend. So we're talking that night and I say, hey, this is what happened when the kids heard today. You want to come to school with me tomorrow? So Melissa, my wife, she came to school. Wouldn't you know, this is the one day of the whole school year. I royally messed up the math problem I was putting on the board. I put the wrong answer on, and she called it out in front of the kids. So that only it was horrible. Sixth grade math, it was horrible. And it had to be the day she was there because God is hilarious. Uh, that's how it had to go down. But that was the 180-degree turning point. These kids, they don't, some of them, they don't know their father. I'm pretty sure they didn't have three meals, probably not even two. They just want to know, is there anybody who cares? Is this guy going to stick it? Or is he going to quit too? No wonder they put us all to the test, because all they knew was people quitting on them. I went from being indifferent, sluggish, no zeal, to actually praying with my wife about buying a row home across the street. From that school. Now, that wasn't God's will for us, but that's how radical the turn was. What was it? Zeal. Clarity. Why am I here? For who am I here? It isn't even these kids first. It's to be light in a place of darkness. To maybe, maybe, maybe be used of God to make a difference. So I want to encourage you, and that's the Worship 
team, person, member, whomever's coming to come. Could I encourage you? Local church to be and Gulf Coast. Don't, don't settle for being faithful. That's good. I'm just saying don't settle for that. Pray to feel. Pray for fervency. Pray to boil over with affection for Jesus so much that people feel it. And here's the great news. That isn't something you have to work up. It's something you can ask God for. And he's eager to give. You don't work it. You pray for it. And he'll give it. He will fill you with zeal so that if you're going out on local church, you're going out with vigor and passion and enthusiasm. And if you're remaining at Gulf Coast, you are remaining with passion and enthusiasm and vigor. So if you assess your current level of zeal, if the tank's running a little low, great gospel news. Pray. Pray to be filled with Zeal. And I, I just want to finish with this too. It may in the natural, it could seem, and I, I don't mean to make light of these things, but it could seem that, well, zeal is going to come easy for those of us who go to be a part of local church because it's new and it's exciting, right? And I mean, come on, let's be honest. We all, we all got some stuff, stuff we don't talk about out loud. Like, oh, I'm kind of, I'm hoping this will be different in the church plant. Kind of, you know, don't really like the music style. This, that. Ooh, am I touching anything here? You know, too close. I don't want to serve in that way. This is my opportunity. You know, can we all just agree? Sometimes our motives are a little shoddy, a little mixed. But that could also be true for remaining. Ah, oh, finally, because that guy's going to go out. I get to do what he wanted to do. I've always wanted to do Yada, 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 yada. Okay, just ask God, God, clear up, clear it all up, clear it all up, and give me zeal. Purify my heart and give me zeal to just love you and love people so much they feel it. And if I'm remaining, oh my Renew the zeal for what you've been doing for 25 years. Oh, God, increase it the next 25. If, Jesus, you're going to tarry, make this place a house for you. And use me to be a part of that story. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the patience and grace of these listeners. Lord, I do pray. I pray, God, and maybe I didn't pray this at the last service, but maybe just even seated, maybe a few need to just turn their hands upward, open, and just ask you, Jesus, please, today, now, I know what this zeal feels like he's talking about because I've had it, but it's been a little while. Maybe it's been a long while. But thank you, I don't have to work it up. I don't have to manufacture it. You'll give it. Would you fill me with fervency, with zeal, by your Holy Spirit, to serve you in love, to serve you with gladness so much that people feel my service as much, maybe even more, than that I am serving. Would you do this for your great glory, Lord? God, bless Gulf Coast, bless local church, fill every vessel that's asking with zeal. I pray in Christ's name, amen.